Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And then found out she was married to him that he was a violent drunk. So the next four years of my life were spent with somebody who was processing a lot of inner pain and doing it by controlling my mother and controlling me as a little toddler and was was a kind of person that would be abusive to my mother if I, as a little toddler, was creating stress for him. You know, if my natural behavior as a toddler was causing him stress, he would beat my mom. You know, that was an early pattern that got set in my brain that I now know was part of the cause for a lot of my mom, our problems in communicating with each other throughout my life was because of this early pattern of distrust. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, beautiful souls. This week, we are celebrating 40 episodes of the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. 40 amazing and beautiful souls have stepped forward to share their story of really heartbreaking and difficult times. 40 stories of real desperation, isolation and hopelessness and 40 stories of courage and hope and healing and each one of them has shared their story because they wanted to show you that you are not alone they wanted to show you what's possible and they wanted to show you that there's a way through to the other side 
And they wanted you to know that if you want to, you can create an amazing life for yourself too. I especially want to thank you so much for tuning in here each week and connecting with these stories, for making this podcast a part of your week, because these stories are the most important stories of all. By sharing our stories, we can start to bring awareness that by reducing childhood trauma, we really can change the world. This podcast is a labor of love and it takes many unpaid hours to create for you every week. And I'm wondering if in return, you could help me out. If you could please recommend this podcast to someone that you know needs to hear it. And also, if you're listening on Apple, post a review. Both of these things will really help me in big ways to get these stories out to a wider audience so that I can continue connecting us with beautiful stories week upon week. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me in these ways. You know, I often wonder what we would look like if our mental and emotional wounding showed up straight away in our body. So a mother wound would mean a strong limp in your right leg and a father wound would present in the left leg or maybe physical abuse would show up as physical marks and scarring or emotional abuse would cause a hunchback. And I wonder if it was this obvious whether we would have done a much better job at changing generational trauma because we could see it so clearly rather than it being something hidden away, dripping in shame and rarely spoken about. I imagine the mother wound as a gaping wound in the middle of the chest, festering and unable to heal because it's always so raw and we can't escape the hurt because our mother is our first archetype of love and the relationship we have with her will have a huge impact on every other relationship we have in our lives. If we didn't feel her love, it will impact us so deeply. If we felt abandoned by her or if she was abusive, then that wound will run deeper. The mother wound runs through so many of our stories and it's prominent in the story I'm sharing with you today. Kerry's mum spent five years with a man she was married to when Kerry was a toddler. Whenever Kerry would act out, be loud or triggering to that man, he would be abusive towards Kerry's mum, which meant that Kerry's mum needed to keep Kerry quiet. And this pattern of what Kerry saw as a mean mummy created a real distrust in that relationship. Years after Kerry and her mum had left that man's life, Kerry continued to run the scripts of distrust towards her mum in her subconscious, which led to her difficult teen years and beyond. If you are suffering with a mother wound, there is some real wisdom to take away from this episode. So please join me in hearing Kerry's story. Kerry, you've recently released your book, Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound, which is about the deep importance of our relationship with our mother. That relationship is at the core of our being and it has the power to shape our lives and by understanding that bond to our mother, we can better understand ourselves. The book explores your own life journey. And so let's start with your mum. Can you tell me a little bit about your mum's life before you were born? Because she grew up in quite a conservative religious family, didn't she? Yes, my mom grew up in Midwest Texas in a little town called Kermit. My, uh, my grandpa worked at the oil refinery, so he would always be out on the oil drums. And my grandmother was really active in the church. So they were Southern Baptist, and she went to church five days a week. <laughs> and she was one of those that just, like, if she was home watching television in her 80s and 90s, she'd be with those Christian channels. And my mom was growing up in this environment in the 60s, and she was born in uh, 1940 five. And um, when she was a teenager, a young person, therefore, you know, right when the 60s movement was going on, all that stuff, and, uh, um, you know, Martin Luther King was speaking, and um, JFK, and all of this change was happening. My mom was in, you know, Texas working as a soda jerk, and not able to, 
give an African-American man his drink in a glass because they need to get it in a cup because they're, you know, you don't want to dirty the glasses kind of thing. So my mom was just so disillusioned by that. And she left Midwest Texas. She moved to Dallas. And when she did, she, she met someone who was um, free love. You know, he was all about free love and he was all about um, the sixties movement and he was an accountant. So he also had that. He was fun loving. He was like, you know, just a party guy. And that also was, a very new experience for my mom from being in such a conservative space. Now, when she got pregnant with me, she was told she couldn't get pregnant. So she was not expecting to be with this man as a father. She was expecting to just have fun. Mm -hmm. So that was quite the shock. And it, you know, you could imagine like being in the quandary of the religious values, you know, the, the very conservative religious values she was raised with. And then there's free love and all of this going on. And then now there's a baby. Uh Oh, like these two worlds don't, don't mix because my father, my natural father was part of the reason he was the way he was. And so open to the things he was open to was because he had a lot of early childhood trauma. He was that child that was left in um, the hallway while his mother was with men in the bedroom, like in the hotel room. So, you know, he, he was not like my mom's ideal um, candidate, you know, for raising a child. So Mm -hmm. there was, you know, that's a lot of, um, to be a young person, to be very passionate, to be a person that challenges prevailing ideas, and then to be a person who also has conservative values and go, how am I going to reconcile all of that? And then also not wanting to go home and ask for help. So that's kind of where my mom was, and it was a difficult spot to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And so she'd been told that she was unable to have children? She was told that because of the position or the tilt of her uterus that she wasn't going to be able to get pregnant. Well, that obviously wasn't true <laughs> because here I am, you know, yeah. and, I, you know, I was, I was the miracle baby. I was the total surprise. Wow, that's amazing. And so can you tell us about the years that you spent with your dad? Well, so I actually spent about a year with my natural father and my mother. And then my mom, you know, because at that time, women were not really in a position to support themselves, especially not as a single mother. That's just, that happens all the time today. But when I was born, that was not the case. That was not something that happened very easily. Very few women actually were able to work, provide for their family and be a single mom. So my mom natural instinct was I've got to find a replacement father. Like I've got to find somebody else that can support us. That's a better, more suitable person to be a father. And so she, she picked somebody that she had met, that she had known through a professional context, seemed like a really nice guy, seemed awesome. And then found out at home once we were kind of in with him and she was married to him that he was a violent drunk. So the next four years of my life were spent with somebody who was, you know, processing a lot of inner pain and doing it by controlling my mother and controlling me as a little toddler and was, you know, was a kind of person that would be abusive to my mother if I, as a little toddler, was creating stress for him. You know, if my natural behavior as a toddler was causing him stress, he would beat my mom. Wow. So, you know, that was an early pattern that got set in my brain that I now know was part of the cause for a lot of my mom, our problems in communicating with each other throughout my life was because of this early pattern of distrust. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's interesting, isn't it? So if you misbehaved, then your mom would get abuse. Is that how it worked? That's basically, yeah. What is, what happens in your brain as a child then when that's happening? What, what do you start believing? Well, you start, you know, for me, I mean, the little, and through lots and lots of inner work and therapy and listening into my inner child and working with my inner child, it's like my inner child started telling me mean mommy, mean mommy, you know, because what you're my mom's, you know, punishing me basically to keep me quiet. So she won't get beaten up. So in my mind is this like mean mommy, mean mommy, like she's mean. And you know, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you start to really, you know, brain latches onto an idea, the reticular activating system in your brain starts to form that idea over and over and over again and collect more evidence that that's true. 
Now that's happening from the time you're a little child and you don't have awareness that that's happening because you're a sponge, you're just soaking it all up and your brain's making associations for you. And it's collecting evidence to like build a case that that's true. And then you start to perceive life through that lens. And then as you do that, like your life starts to even more and more and more reflect that truth. So it's not that um, we didn't have moments of closeness. It's that we had a lot of closeness, but there was also this lingering fear underneath, like she's going to like hurt me somehow, or there's going to be some punishment if I don't mind my P's and Q's and I'm going to really get it, you know? So there was like that underlying tension the whole time that I knew her until recently when I was able to heal it through writing this book and doing the deep inner work of, of healing the mother wound. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And it's amazing how deep those messages are. And the messages are also around, you know, I don't have a voice and I, I can't be heard and all of those sort of basic things that just take away who we are, I suppose. Yeah, because if you think about that, then my personality was then geared as a young person to um, comply with anything that my mom wanted me to do and to suppress myself, you know, and to suppress my natural instincts or my inquisitiveness or rambunctious behavior or whatever it was like, and to be like almost vigilantly, like extremely vigilantly actually looking for signs that I was about to get in trouble. So that's kind of how I lived my childhood, you know? And it wasn't because my mom was like overly, actually overly mean. That's not at all what happened. It's that those early patterns got set. And then I developed this behavior of complying with everything. So, and I did that. And so I didn't go through the natural cycle. So there's these natural cycles of development that children go through. And if at any point you get blocked in the full development of that cycle, the next cycle is automatically hindered from its full expression. So zero to seven, you know, we're really working on using our bodies, learning how to move our bodies, learning how to get our spirit in our bodies and, and, um, you know, and, and learning how to use this thing. And then also just soaking in tons and tons of information from our environment and from our teachers, our primary teachers, our parents, our families, um, our early teachers. And, and then we move into the emotional development in the next cycle, seven to 14. And so if we don't, whatever, ha- whatever trauma happens in the first cycle impacts the second cycle of development, which is your emotional energy. So I never really learned how to be okay or process or fully get through my experience of things like anger, for example. Mm-hmm. And so instead of like, if I was feeling angry, instead of expressing anger, I would express tears because I found that I learned early in my life that it was okay to be, to cry and to feel sad and wounded. And I would get love and attention and some support for that, but it was not okay to be angry. You know, and you can also relate that back to my early experience. Like it was scary. Anger, anger was a scary thing. This man was terrifying to me as he was over, he was like six, six and a half feet tall, huge man. And I'm this little kid. So it's terrifying, you know? And then the next development is your mental development, you know, and your teenage years, like 14 to 21. And that's where you learn to, in the best of conditions, you learn how to process things mentally and get past your emotions and be able to like work through those and then learn how to make the best choice for yourself and navigate that pathway. And you also learn how to, how to have conversations with other people and negotiate things and, you know, work through problems. So because of the first two cycles being kind of hindered, it was hard for me to work all the way through the last cycle. So I, I had a hard time actually speaking up when I felt upset about something. And so instead of speaking up, I would get passive aggressive, I would act out or I would leave. And so I had compensatory behaviors, like protective behaviors that I didn't know how to bring a conversation all the way through its conclusion. And my dad tried to help me with that. But, you know, once these patterns are set, if you don't heal at the beginning, the root of it, it never actually heals all the way. You know, these patterns just sort of ripple out in your life. So that's basically what I learned about the brain and about these early traumas and how they affect you. 
It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because these are things often that we we totally bury and we have no idea that it's driving everything that's happening to us for many years. So how long were you in that situation, in that environment with this abusive man? So I was there until I was five years old. And then that's when the man I call my dad uh, appeared in our lives. He went, we were in an apartment complex. He also lived in that apartment complex. I saw him on the steps one day and he tells me this, you know, the story, he's told me the story of when he saw me and I, he's like, you just look terrified. You were like this little terrified little child. And my heart just went out to you. And I just was like, wow, this child is so scared. And then the very next night or like uh, the next couple of days, there was a party with some mutual friends of my mom's and my, my, who I became to know as my dad. And they met for the first time and it was like love at first sight. And I mean, my parents had this amazing relationship. Um, third time's the charm. He was a great dad. And I feel like the fact that my dad was such an awesome dad is the reason why I'm not completely screwed up. You know, I was able to work my way through all these challenges. I had like this, this, like this, like lifesaver, you know, I was able to, to, to keep from drowning you know, I mean, I still went through so much stuff in my life, some of that I wasn't even sure I was going to make it through. But I had that lifesaver of my dad, of this man that entered my life at five and started doing his best to rewire those patterns in my brain and like teach me it's safe and teach me how to like, you know, um, look for alternatives and solutions. And how can I find the best solution for myself? How can I speak what's really going on for me? He, he was the one person in my life that was trying to help me do that. And then trying to help my mom too, you know, to unwire these patterns. Cause she's like, you're not understanding the underlying dynamics. Like what, what's wrong with my daughter? And that was the conversation in my family was what's wrong with Carrie? You know, yeah. how, what is wrong with Carrie? What is wrong with Carrie? So at 15, I started counseling. I was like in, you know, counseling with this psychiatrist at the time who did psychotherapy. And then it just went on for there. So, twenty, you know, two decades of what's wrong with Carrie was the story. Yeah. Yeah, and how wonderful that this man came into your life. It's just like so beautiful and just shows the difference that that love and understanding can create for somebody. So when you're a teenager, what was it like for you? What was life like for you as a teen? Did you cope with it? Well, like many people who struggle from early childhood abuse or traumatic things that happened, there was sexual dysfunction in my teenage years. You know, I mean, everybody expects teenagers to be a little bit wild, you know, but picking up a guy at the stoplight uh, who was on a motorcycle and then going home with him and having sex, that's probably a little beyond like, you know, normal teenage behavior. So I was, I was always like at the, whatever would bring it to the next level of intensity, I would do that thing. So I was that kid that ran away from home for like three days. I was that kid that got really upset when my dad walked in on me and like came home early and I had a boyfriend over and I had been having sex with him. Didn't catch us in the act, but it was pretty clear what had been going on, right? And that shame of feeling that, I was the kid that, you know, took some Tylenol with codeine and tried to, this, uh, this attempt at suicide. It wasn't really an attempt, but it was like wanting attention and wanting to kind of get over this feeling of shame that was in my body and my dad wouldn't talk to me. And this is a man who'd been so supportive and loving for me for so many years. And it was just an awful feeling. So that's kind of how I handled that situation at the time. And that's what landed me in the cycle in the psychiatrist. So I feel like as a teenager, you know, in some ways it's normal for teenagers to be a little wild and to, to push the envelope on things and to get attention, to break the rules it's kind of normal. But in other ways, I wouldn't do that. Like I wouldn't speak my truth. I wouldn't actually say what was going on for me. I would hide. And then I would just do these, I would kind of squirt out the sides and do these behaviors. And my parents were so frustrated because I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't come to them and say like, this is what's going on for me. I'm really mad about this, or I'm really upset, or, you know, I don't like that you said this or you made this rule or whatever it was, I would just kind of like shut myself down and then go do some self-harming behavior. Yeah. And I guess that's because underlying everything, there was no safety to do that. You'd been trained for years that if you have something 
to say you wanted to express yourself that it wasn't safe to do that I suppose that's what it comes down to doesn't it and I guess we say that oh teenagers are difficult and there's always drama but when a teen is is displaying promiscuity and having suicidal attempts I mean this is all just because of what's going on inside them in terms of past trauma I mean kids don't just decide they're going to jump off a cliff because they're having an amazing life there's stuff very deep down inside people are always like oh but they come from such a great home and you know they've had such a loving family but we don't know what's going on in kids lives you know we don't know what they've actually been through because everybody's presenting the perfect family how they're trying to aren't they yeah and that's really um one of the posts I made recently I shared a picture of myself 12 13 years ago with I used to always wear these caps these cute little caps. I would always wear these caps with like a little brim and the brim would create a shadow just over my eyes. So you could never actually see my eyes. You couldn't see the pain inside my eyes. I was like hiding it. And I would just, and my lip was always, you know, like tight. Like my mouth was always pursed. My lips were always pursed and my jaw was always tight. Cause I was just trying to hold it together. I was just trying to be like perfect in the public eye. Like if I, if I had my kids enrolled in like soccer and I was their coach, if I had, you know, the right, and I gave them right, the right meals and vegetables and all the things. And I, and I read them bedtime stories and then I put them to bed and then I had my fun and then I'm being a good mom. And I didn't have any clue what actually it takes to be a good mom until now. And my kids are 18 and 21. Yeah. So, you know, part of the reason why I do what I do is because I know how bad every mom wants to be the best mom and our best intentions that we set out with. And I know that along the way, this whole path of being a mom is not only about raising your kids, but about healing your own traumas and your own stuff. So you're not passing it on to them. So yeah. it's like a double whammy. And then on top of that, usually you're dealing with your own mom too. <laughs> like, yeah. So you're like in the middle, you know, like trying to cope with everything that's going on. And it's a bit overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Motherhood is overwhelming. So you got through your teen years and how did you then cope when you got into your twenties and some of those early relationships? Well, like I had a fairly supportive a very supportive relationship in high school, the, my senior year of high school through college with a guy who was really wholesome and really loving and caring and kind. And my parents were very convinced that we were going to get married. And then I sabotaged it because, <laughs> of course, that's how it works, right? It got too close. It got too real. It was like, nope. Mm. And then I had the the reaction of like, I remember actually I moved out to California from the from the East Coast. I was living on the East Coast. I got a job in Silicon Valley after college and I moved out there and I I immediately met my uh, former spouse, the father of my children. And he was a very bright person. He is, he's still alive. He's a very bright person. He's a very fun person. He likes to have a lot of fun. And the empathy part, you know, it's kind of like, it wasn't the same as the empathy I was experiencing from my, my other boyfriend. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I deserve someone who's a little mean to me because I was so mean to my boyfriend and maybe I didn't respect him because he wasn't mean enough. So maybe I just need a boyfriend who's really mean. (laughs) And I remember actually thinking that and proceeding with the relationship. Now, what I know about people who exhibit mean behavior or like unfeeling behavior now is that they're actually dealing with their own wounds inside, like big, deep wounds inside of themselves that makes it hard for them to open their hearts. And the person I was at the time, like I was that person. It was actually, I wanted to be carefree. I wanted to be like having fun. I love the Grateful Dead. Like I was all like, yeah, just peace, love and joy and all that. But there was also reserve in my heart. Like I wasn't going to share my full self with anyone. Like I was going to hold back. And even when we got married, I refused to take his name. Like I was like, nope, I'm not taking your name. I'm not being that vulnerable. It was like, what did I think I was doing? You know? And, and I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give my whole self. 
And I remember I also didn't have any spirituality, didn't have any religion of any kind. And I, I struck all mentions of God out of my wedding vows. I was like, there would be no mention of God in this wedding vow. So now after my spiritual awakening, I look back on this and I go, oh my goodness, like there were just so many things out of alignment. It was like, I now, like when I did my, when I had my marriage with my husband now, the first thing we did was we, we made up agreements because I practiced the four agreements. I practiced Toltec wisdom. And the four agreements is a book by Don Miguel Ruiz for anyone who wants to read that book. It's like saved my life at the beginning. Like I, I read that book 30 times front to back when I first wow. found it to reprogram my brain, you know, like, cause I needed it. And, you know, we made agreements like, and the first agreement is that the sacred is the beginning of our relationship. Like the divine is our foundation. That's where we begin. And each person's highest good is the first concern of our, of our marriage. And so supporting each other's highest good is the most important thing, not each other's comfort, but our highest good. And that was really the piece I was missing, you know, from my first marriage was that commitment to self and that commitment to my highest good, to my soul's curriculum, to what I actually needed to learn in this life and what he needed to learn. I was like, we were just doing the thing that everybody does, getting the house and the jobs and the money and the vacations and the party and the wine and the community, you know, I mean, yeah, I did the thing. Yeah. I, I think understand. we all do. I mean, understand that a hundred percent. And you had two kids in that marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two sons. Yeah. And I remember like having my first son, man, all this stuff just got stirred up in me. I was thinking I was just going to have this idyllic experience, you know, like this beautiful experience and like Hallmark postcards, pictures of like baby and mom and, and dad and all happy. And meanwhile, I, I, one morning I was not too long after he was born, I was standing in the shower and I looked down at my feet and there was a huge black hole in the middle of the floor scared the heck out of me. Where is that? Where it's not actually there. I saw it. And I had to start getting psychiatric help. Like I had to go into a postpartum mom's group and start asking, why am I experiencing this trauma? I wanted this baby. I should be happy. I should be excited about this baby. I should be able to care for this baby and not be angry when it cries and not see holes in the floor. And I started healing at that point. I started realizing, uh-oh, like this is real stuff. This is not like just have a baby and then like you have this postcard. This is real life. There's a baby here and I have to take care of this baby. I have to make sure he's okay. And meanwhile, I am definitely not okay. Yeah. Not feeling it. Yeah, wow. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So I don't know a lot about that connection. So is it just all of the trauma when you have a child yourself, it just all comes out? Yeah, absolutely. It's because it's all about initiation. So when in this culture, in the Western culture, it doesn't matter if you live in the United States or Australia or England or Europe, in Western culture, we have, we have stopped initiating our women. 
So there's initiations that happen when you get your first moon, for example, when you get your first, your menstruation cycle. In indigenous cultures, they, they initiate you at that point into womanhood. When you don't get initiated, you're still like a little girl and you haven't healed anything that happened up until that point of initiation. So the traumas, they catch up with you in your teens in Western culture because you haven't initiated yourself into womanhood. The initiation is what starts the healing process on the earlier traumas in your life. So now if you miss that initiation, the next initiation is in your body is pregnancy and having a baby. So if you haven't been initiated yet, now your body goes through the next initiation of having a baby, all the things in your body that haven't been healed up until then, they come to the surface for healing. So if you don't have a pathway for that healing to follow, then they just get stuck. If you do have a practice for healing, and I mean like psychological healing, um, body embodiment healing, um, emotional, psycho-emotional healing, if you have a process in place for that through your spiritual practice, then that'll just come up for you and you'll use that process and you'll, you'll purge it out while you're in the pregnancy process. I actually know somebody, for example, and I do believe that that's why a lot of women get sick in their early pregnancy is because that content needs to get out somehow that's not healthy for the baby. And it's, un, you know, it's unhealed stuff that's just still lingering inside your body. It needs to get out somehow. So the easiest way for a body to purge anything is by throwing it up, you know, generally throwing up that content, getting it out of your system. So when, if you've ever done plant medicine, you have had an experience of that probably, you know, of um, throwing up content that's no longer useful. I actually have a friend who recently last year got pregnant and had the whole first trimester was that was throwing up stuff. And she isn't, you know, has done a lot of plant medicine. She's like, yeah, I just know that that was exactly the experience I'm having. It's like, I've started this ceremony, this initiation of, of motherhood and my body and my consciousness is like, okay, ancestral healing, all this stuff needs to go because I'm forming my baby in my womb now. So we can be more proactive with it, right? And that's also what I'm encouraging people to do is be more proactive with it. Realize that these initiation points happen and then start to heal these ancestral patterns and these early childhood wounds and, and just conditioning in general while you're in that process or before you initiate that process. And then if you've already initiated it and your kids are grown, it's not too late either because when we heal ourselves, we heal seven generations forward and back. So in my case, I didn't wake up till much later, right? Like I didn't wake up till my kids were in elementary school and going into middle school. So at that point, learning that spiritual practices for psychological and emotional healing, that served my, my kids and my mom, because as I started healing myself, my whole family dynamic started changing. Yeah. Absolutely. I just feel so emotional when you've said all of that. It's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. What's coming up for you with that? Oh, just, well, because it's exactly my journey as well. Um, But I guess when somebody tells it to you slightly differently than the way that you've heard it or you've understood it yourself, it's, yeah, I hadn't really thought through the whole initiation. And we've got rid of all of those amazing parts out of our way of living haven't we like we we don't have initiation all of those sorts of things are not part of our culture so and it's definitely important to for people to understand what they need to do so when you were going through this awakening time how was your relationship then with your mum well so the man that I chose to marry as moms often do my mom and my dad both could see this is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> like this is not a good idea, you know, but you know, we can't be dissuaded. Right. I mean, when you fall in love with somebody, you, you pick the one and you think that's the one you really can't be dissuaded from it. You're just going to do it. And I've learned since the reason for that is because we have soul contracts. We have soul contracts with different souls and those soul contracts make it like 
extra juicy when you see that person. Like you can only, you're so enthralled by it that you can't say no to it. You just have to surrender to it. And there's just, cause you just don't know, right? And you're like, this must be the one. Like when I met him, it was like lightning across the room, you know? And, and whoever was around him just disappeared. And we were just like in this like love cocoon of like, I must meet you, who are you? You know, this whole thing. And I'd never met anybody like that. So I was like, well, this must be the one. And then, as I said, like, as I started getting with him, I was, he has noticed some of the heart, the closed heart kind of behavior. I was like, well, I must need this because I don't respect men that are really loving, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I got into it. But yeah, my mom was like, from that point, my mom was like, oh boy. And because my mom and my dad, you know, when somebody doesn't really embrace a person, the other, the person not being embraced can feel that they're not really being embraced, you know, at, the, at first. And so it creates some friction. And even though they really, and they did eventually overcome that, but in the process of overcoming, there was just early years were very tense, you know, and, and then I had to justify my choice, right? So then I didn't want to tell them anything because they don't like him. So see how it all works and you get yourself back into a corner. So before I know it, I'm getting married to him you know, on Maui and we're having kids. So it's, you know, it was challenging. And then when I had kids, I was so insecure. I was already insecure about my choice because I knew my parents didn't approve of it or, you know, didn't agree. And then I was really insecure because I, I didn't really know how to be a mother and my first time and my son was colicky. So on top of everything, he would, he would not stop crying. And I thought, I'm just the worst mom. Like this kid never stops crying. I don't know what to do for him. I just have no mothering skills. And I, I was just constantly, I was in my judgment of myself because like, judgment is one of my shadows in my soul's curriculum that I'm working on. And, um, you know, it, it's been one of a lifelong journey with that. So I was judging myself relentlessly. So that made me not get along with his mother who offered suggestions and I, you know, any suggestion offered, I definitely don't want it because you're making me even more insecure about my abilities. And then my mom too, I did, it's like, I wanted her help, but I didn't want her help. I wanted her help, but it made me feel worse about myself. And then I feel like I really don't know what to do. And my mom is really always very certain about things, which makes it harder, you know, cause you don't know your own voice when she's so certain. And that's the experience my son has of me because I do, I'm spiritual mentor. Like I do all this work, right? So like him finding his own voice and his own way through it is hard because here I am out on these podcasts and all this, you know, it's like he has to find his own way. So these dynamics get stirred up because of these insecurities, you know, and all the mother wants to do is help, but it's hard to receive that help when you feel insecure. Yeah, absolutely. But that marriage did end up breaking down, didn't it? And then and then you moved on and I believe you're now married to a different person. Can you tell us about the difference with that relationship? Absolutely. I mean, I evolved as a person. I committed to my deep dive work and I wouldn't say that I did that out the gate. I want to confess that I, I left my former partner and I figured that knight in shining armor would come and rescue me and he'd be right around the corner. And I kept looking for him like everywhere and every room and every restaurant and every place I ever went. I was like scanning the room for my knight in shining armor. And it was a painful few years of that process while also I started committing to a spiritual path. So the interesting thing about committing to a spiritual path is that now you start to get a higher vision like an eagle vision of exactly what you're doing to yourself. And, you know, there's this model, and I can't remember who the author of the model is, unfortunately, but it's the competency model. And at first, you're unconsciously incompetent. You don't know that you're incompetent and you're just running your patterns and you're living your life and you're miserable, but you don't know why. <laughs> then you start a spiritual path or a personal development path and you start to get some insight into why your life has been the way it has been. And then you become conscious about your incompetence. That part is a rough patch, you know, to be honest, it's hard. And so you, you know, you need to be in community for that piece, like for sure, it's like not easy to go it alone. And I went it alone for a little while. And then I did have a community to support me for, I kept signing up for programs and teachers and things like that. And so I did this, I finally started getting it. I was like, 
oh, in order to have the partnership I think I want, I have to become that person. And when I become that person that I want to attract to me, then I won't need that person anymore. And in not needing them, I'll actually have the ideal relationship because then we can love each other without attachment. So that's what I have now. I have a partner who walks my spiritual path with me. We both have gone to the same trainings. Like we both went through the power path program with Jose and Lena Stevens. We both, we got, both got that shamanic training. We went through it separately and we're now leading, you know, groups to do that kind of shamanic training, you know, in Peru. And we walk the path together. So we both had the same coaches. We work with the same mentors. We work with them together. And, you know, we work on our stuff. So this is the partner I always wanted. I always wanted somebody who would go deep with me and who could hold me in any situation and not judge me and who could love me through the mess and who could encourage me when I was feeling stuck and, and like be my champion and be like, go for it, don't stop. I have that partner and it's because I became that person for myself. So he's like, he is doing for me on the outside what I already do for myself on the inside. Wow. That's, that just sounds amazing. And I love the way you described that because it all makes so much sense and how beautiful to have found that amazing soul. So you've written a book and it's, it's all about the mother wound. Can you just, First of all, tell us how you describe the mother wound. Yeah, so the mother wound to me is multidimensional. It's multifaceted. So on the one level, it's our relationship with our biological mother. So whatever relationship you had with your mother, like mine, like I talked about, you know, the early conditions creating this mean mommy idea. It's healing that idea because our mother is an archetype inside our consciousness whether what, no matter what body you're in, if you're in a woman's body or a man's body or a transsexual body, it doesn't matter. Your mother is your first archetype of love. So when you want to be more loving in relationship, you first got to heal that first archetype. And it's the archetype that got set into place when you were in your mother's womb. And then as you were being conditioned by your mother's own dream of life, the way she viewed life, the way she handled relationships, the way she responded to things, you know, children are picking up every little clue about how to do that from their mothers. They're just constantly watching. So that's a lot of pressure for anybody out there who's like already a mom or in the early stages of being a mom or wants to be a mom. It's like, but I don't want to do it perfectly. You can't and you already do. So <laughs> I want to explain that. So what you learn through healing the mother wound process is that your mother was the sole contract for your early development. Being birthed by your biological mother set you up for all the soul's curriculum you came here to have. So it's the ideal system. <laughs> you're going to be immersed in your soul's curriculum and you can't leave it because you're in the body. I mean, you can leave it, but then you just have to come back in another body and do it again. So your curriculum is embedded inside your body. It's your ancestral DNA. It's the inheritance from your mother and her womb and all of her ideas, her consciousness that you said, yes, I want to embody this because I want a starting place and I want to learn all this. And then your own curriculum that you decided to learn. So it's all inside what I like to call your thumbprint suit. So this is why you don't have to blame your mom because you actually, and you don't even need to forgive her, really. It's more about saying, thank you. Thank you for being my starting place. Thank you for being my springboard. Thank you for teaching me everything I needed to know to get started with my soul's curriculum. And thank you for being you. You know, I mean, everything that my mom uncomfortably taught me when I was growing up and until I came to this realization was for me. So it's really about healing that idea that your mom is a problem somehow or that it's an inconvenience that you want to avoid, or that she abused you or did this or whatever. It's about getting over that and claiming your power back from it. And claiming, because when you claim your power of your soul's curriculum, when you say, I came in to experience as, as I did, I came in to experience you know, an unhealthy relationship with a father. Who chose that father? My mom. Both times that was unhealthy. And the third time it was healthy, right? So I came in to choose that. I came in to learn from that. 
So I don't need to blame her for anything anymore. I got, I'm exactly where I need to be. Did it take me a lifetime of healing? Absolutely. And was that what my soul, my soul signed up for? Yes. Because in order for me to do my work in the world, my service work with my gifts and my wisdom, I have to have had all that experience. Yeah. I need it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but like humanity, they don't listen to anything you have to say unless you've been there. Yeah. If you haven't been there, they're like, screw you. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You don't know what I'm talking about. So it's really about that. And then ultimately it's about healing the relationship with our planet because she's our mother, you know, mother earth is our mother and we don't treat her very well right now. And I believe that's because we don't treat our mothers very well right now. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the main steps to healing that wound? So the process that I bring people through is a combination of sacred ceremony with mother earth getting reconnected with a bigger mother than the biological mother that you had, because we have to have a bigger mother, a bigger healed vibration of mother. And so you could call that mother earth. You could call that the divine mother. You could call that the divine feminine, any kind of mother archetype that you believe in, like mother Mary, you know, any of that, any healed mother archetype will do. And so in my work, we we bring in the mother earth and the divine mother. I believe it's the same. And so we're coming into that sacred ceremony with ourselves, with our soul's curriculum and with our divine mother and letting those healed frequencies fill us up and hold us and nurture us and learning to relax and receive that nurturing and let down the guard and let down, you know, all the defenses and start to relax that you're safe. You're actually safe. You're in your body. You're on earth. It's okay to be in your body. It's okay to be safe. You're held and shifting the expectation of being safe and held from your biological mother to the divine mother. That really allows so much movement of energy. And then in that process, it's inner child healing and it's learning to become the mother you always wished you had for yourself. Yeah. When you can do that, you can arms around your biological mother. And, and this is the process that I've been in is like realizing that my ability to hold myself in sacred safety, that is the frequency that relaxes my mother so that she can show up at her best. Wow. That's beautiful. I love that. And when we heal the mother wound, that affects our other relationships, doesn't it? It affects every relationship, including their relationship with money. You know, a lot of people are concerned about money and I understand, you know, we live, we still live in a scarcity consciousness. And I tell people like, just anytime you say, I want money, say, I want love. Cause it's the same thing. It's prosperity. It's abundance. And all of that is actually love. It's love you're wanting. So if you heal this, I mean, who's supposed to love you more, right? Is your mother. Your mother is the one person who's supposed to love you the most until you learn to love yourself the most. It's like she's your surrogate until you figure it out. And sometimes biological mothers, you know, are still trying to love themselves, just like me. I was trying to love myself. I didn't know how to love myself. And now there's this little baby like wanting me to love him like I've never loved anybody else. And he cracked my heart open. And, you know, it's that heart opening that agape love that unconditional love i mean my eldest son is a unicorn child he's he came out screaming and he hasn't stopped you know disrupting the system since he showed up he'll never do the thing you want him to do he'll always do the opposite he defies logic he defies convention and and yet he has this tremendous wisdom when you sit down with him and just listen to what he has to say it blows your mind it's like wow this kid by by the definition of of our materialistic society he's not he's not being successful you know but by his own his own inner drive his passion his knowing himself like nobody else and not willing to compromise on his own vision and his own heart he is a master and 
you know, I've had many people, psychics tell me, don't worry about him. You know, he's, he's, he's amazing. And I'm like, I know he is. And he's been my biggest challenge. He's been my biggest teacher. He has taught me to stick up for myself. He's taught me to love myself and trust myself. That's what can happen when you allow your kids to be your teacher too. I mean, I, I feel like moms, I think moms are the way that this planet's going to heal because we all know what it feels like to have your heart cracked open by your kids. We all know what that feels like to have to show up because you can't not show up because your heart's like, no, I have to show up. I don't know what to do here. It's pissing me off. It's upsetting me, but I have to show up. That's, that's like, that's the equation for success of healing humanity right there is I have to show up because my heart won't let me say no. And I can't let the planet go on. I can't let humanity go on the way it is with the planet because I need my kids and my grandkids to survive. Yeah, absolutely. Woo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's in, this is the way I live. It's so intense and I know it, but like, just take a breath. I feel it so deeply, Dawn. Like, I just know it's us. Like, it's the moms. Like, we are the ones who are going to bring it around. Yeah, I love it. I love all of that. And in the book, you talk about coyote teachers. What are coyote teachers? Well, so like, it's kind of like what I was talking about, where you think you're, you, you have this idea that in order to have like, your mom be like the best mom ever, you wouldn't have any friction with her, you know, like she just love you and be coddly and like cook you cookies and tuck you in at night and all of this, right? My mom wasn't like that. My mom challenged me, you know, she made it difficult for me and in many ways and her gene keys, and I often work with the gene keys and if anybody's interested in their Gene Keys is genekeys.com, G-E-N-E-K-E-Y-S.com. You get a, a little map of your soul's curriculum in your shadows. I find it so helpful. I looked up my mom's chart because I was like, okay, I've got to heal this relationship. I'm writing this book. I said I would do it. I'm going to heal it all the way. I'm not going to hold back every last little bit until I'm completely in love with my mom. I'm <laughs> not stopping. So let me understand this woman. And I got her chart. And in it, I saw the shadow a provocation and a shadow of struggle and a shadow of conflict. I was like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I've been experiencing. She knows how to say exactly the thing that just pokes your button, pops it open, and you're crying. You know, like, it's like, damn, this woman knows how to, she's just like hot on it. She knows how to do it. And I thought, man, this is tough. Why would I pick that? Why would I pick that? And so I, I was like, well, because what do I want to do in the world? I want to mentor people. I want to help people be their best. So if I'm going to do that, don't I have to provoke them? I have to be able to provoke them. So I learned how to provoke from my mom for like 50 years. So I'm kind of good at it. But I wouldn't be good at this if... I hadn't had the best teacher in provocation ever. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't be. So that's what I mean by coyote teachers. It's like your mind wants to assign bad, like label it as bad, but that's just a defense because it's actually the medicine you really need. Yeah. And coyote teachers, they know that and they don't care. They're like, whatever, you can hate me if all you want. <laughs> it's fine. I'm doing what's best for you. I'm giving you the medicine you need and you can be angry with me and you can walk away from me and you can curse me behind my back and I'm still going to do exactly the right medicine for you because I'm not, because I know it in my heart and I'm going to do it even though you don't want it. Yeah. That's the kind of mom my mom is. <laughs> so I, I do that too, but I, I, I modulate things a little bit more. I'm a little more gentle, you know, so yeah. <laughs> not quite so extreme, but I needed to learn that lesson. So I wouldn't be afraid of provoking people. I wouldn't be afraid of leaning in. I wouldn't be afraid of asking into a situation with somebody. I wouldn't be afraid of, of having them explore something or say something that might hurt their feelings, right? Or, or make them feel uncomfortable. I can't be afraid of that if I'm going to do my job well. Yeah. And so it's really not about forgiving the people in our life it's more about having gratitude for 
what they've brought into our life, isn't it? It's really about gratitude. Because when you really get that that person was your mentor, when you really get that at a soul level, they said, okay, I'm going to be the villain in your story and I'm going to provoke your butt all up and down, you know, because I'm going to get you to stand up. When you really realize that, all you got is love and gratitude. Like when I see my mom now, I tell her, I'm like, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. My son is living with her right now because he's, he's going to school and she's got an extra room. So he's living with her. And I see so many beneficial changes in him since he's lived with her. And I see how her style of parenting, her style of mentoring is a really good compliment to mine. And so I'm so grateful. I'm just like, wow, this kid's learning so much from her and it's so good for him. Go for it. You know, like I'm happy that's happening. And my mom is like, wow, this is like the first time you've ever really been happy, you know, in this equation. You're like, this is so great. I've never experienced this. And I'm like, I never experienced it either, but I wouldn't get there if I hadn't healed it. Yeah. So how would you describe your relationship with your mom now? My relationship with my mom now is like more open-hearted and more vulnerable than I've ever been willing to be with my mom before. And it doesn't have, I used to have a lot of tension when I would go visit my mom. I would be like kind of waiting for the shoe to drop or waiting for there to be a problem or waiting for her to say something that would hurt me or, you know, I'm kind of like in this vigilant state. And now I don't have any of that inner anxiety. And I'm just like, when she, when she gets passionate, I notice it and then I, I check myself, like, are you scared? You know, I check in with my inner child, like, how are you doing? And it's like, it's so safe inside me now that my inner child's like, I'm good. This is my mom being my mom and this awesome. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like, so I don't feel, you know, like I don't feel that fear anymore. I don't feel that resistance. I'm just like, oh, my mom's being my mom. This is so cool. You know, like wow. she's doing her thing. Wow, that's amazing. Kerry, you're the author of Love is Fierce, as we've said, and you're also the author of The Second Wave. I know you're doing amazing work with women in this area of the mother wound. Can you tell us where we can find you and what you're offering? Absolutely. My website is kerryhummingbird.com, uh, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. And um, the projects I offer, I offer um, two basic group circles I do individual mentoring as well, but my group programs are are really juicy because I feel like community is the best space to do this work because you get so many mirrors into your own drama. Like like you were saying before, like you were hearing it through my voice and it was sinking in deeper, like your own journey that's so similar to mine. And so, yeah, it's the same. It's like you hear somebody else say it and it sinks in. So I love group work for that. And um, so I do one circle that is six months long and it runs twice a year and it starts in August and February. So we're getting ready to start up another circle and then the February will be the next one. So that's called sacred circle for awakening the mother goddess. And it is about healing the mother wounds. And I just flipped it into the positive because really we're awakening the mother goddess within you. You know, we're really helping you to own and honor your own inner mother and create the mother you want to be. That work is really deep and it's six months, it's once a week. And there's an optional group mentoring program that's every other week because that work is deep. And sometimes you need a lot of extra space to express things that are going on, you know, inside of you or in your family. And, uh, and the other program I offer is um, it's a, and in, it's really a pathway of um, working with earth-based spirituality and building your inner power and um, becoming a force magnitude. So for anybody who feels like they are a healer or they want to be a leader in creating new earth, what I like to call new earth, this program's for you. It's for earth keepers. And it's called the One Year Inner Medicine Program. And I am initiating people into being a Mesa carrier, which is a tradition from the Andes Mountains. And we work with indigenous teachers as well from the Andes Mountains for this work. And it's, uh, it's really an in-depth, it incorporates the gene keys. All of my programs incorporate the gene keys because I just think that medicine is so amazing. I think that, uh, gosh, you get a map of your soul's curriculum. <laughs> like, wow. Please, like, 
<laughs> you know where to start. You know, it just narrows it down. You don't have to get confused. So anyway, that work is a year long program and it's awesome. It's um, powerful. So mm -hmm. those are the two things I offer and those are, those are on the website. Wow, that sounds so amazing. And I've never even heard of the Gene Key, so I'll be looking that straight up after this. <laughs> I bet. Oh, my gosh. Guys, grab a copy of the book. I'll put all of the details <laughs> up so that you can get in touch with her really easily. Thank you so much, Kerry, for everything you've shared today. It's really touched me deep in my soul. Everything you've had to say today has just been so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Don, and thank you, everybody out there. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.